may be seated. Thanks, Lindsay, for reading for us. Well, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. My name's Steve. We are so glad that you have decided to spend these moments with us as we learn to live the love of Jesus, bringing heaven to earth. If you are online with us, could I encourage you to do a couple of things this morning, maybe just one, but uh, one would be to fill out the connection card. If you're in Facebook, you'll see it in the post. If you're on our website, you'll see it right there. We want you to go ahead and fill it out. And that goes for not only those who are online, but those also in person. This just helps us as a way to help to assist you in growing, and you can let us know how you want us to help you with that. The other thing I just want to note, and it was already highlighted early on, but in case you missed it, you don't want to miss out on the Holy Week opportunities and especially Easter Sunday, which there will be two services on Easter, and uh, you can find those in their respective places. Well, if you have your Bibles, open them to Matthew chapter 4. This is exactly where we're going to be this moment, uh, this morning. And uh, we need to do a little connection, though, between uh, the scripture we had last week and the scripture today. If you remember, we ended chapter 3 and verse 17, it says these words, And a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Can you just resonate with me or think about this with me for a moment this is truly the deep heart cry of everyone everywhere doesn't matter who they are where they were born or who they were born to or anything it is the heart cry of everyone While we understand that Jesus' baptism was the launch of ministry it was also this identifying moment of humanness that Jesus has with us as the Son of God, he was in deep, deep need to be, uh, to be loved, and that identification comes through this, this, these words at the end of chapter 3. We might just skip past them as thinking, ah, Jesus already knew this. But I want to remind you that we looked at Philippians chapter 2 last week, and Philippians chapter 2 said that he emptied himself of his divine nature. He came as one of us. It is kind of a a crazy thing to think about that potentially he, as much as he is God, he is as human as you are, needing to know that. I mean, think about this. He knows and may have already known about the Father's love, but he needed to know in that moment the Trinitarian love of the community of God, that the God of the Father And yes, he's the son, but of the Holy Spirit. He needed to know that. We can look at this and see this in John chapter 17 where he says, look, Father, they need to know that we're one, that they can be one as we're one. Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah promised, is confirmed and affirmed as God's son, whom he loved and was well pleased. And maybe you've heard this before, but he didn't do anything up to this point. I mean, he stepped in obedience, but he had not done anything on his mission or his purpose per se. It's at at this point that we all deeply need to know that we're loved and affirmed. This affirmation is what really binds us all together. Every country, every nation, every ethnicity, every race. We need to know that we are loved 
love deeply. This is common to every soul. In the brokenness of our world with our disordered desires and our attempt to prove ourselves worthy of something we cannot ever achieve. You think about it. Everything we do, we are attempting to, in a little small way, to say, hey, I'm worth value. Right? But Jesus needed to hear these words from his father, just as maybe we do ourselves. We'll look in a few moments where the tempter comes, the evil one comes, and he wants, to, he wants us to be tempted to provide for ourselves. He wants us to prove ourselves better than, and you fill in the blank, and to gain power and prestige from those things and those things around us. You know, I, I remember well the day when I was adult, when I was an adult, when my dad told me that he, was, he loved me and that he was proud of me. I remember. Now, this memory is seared into my mind, but it's also, also these words from my dad brought this confirmation and this affirmation that my heart needed and it also hungered for. But even more than my dad's words, that he loved me and was pleased with me, the first time I remember hearing the father's words, that he loved me and that he was pleased with me, are equally, even greater, seared into my heart and my mind. Now, that doesn't mean that he hadn't been t- trying to get my attention the whole way through, but I had just been, well, I had just awoken to the love that he had for me and that affirmation he had for me. Friends, the platforms in our world are primed to test and to tempt us from living in the love of God. Work I don't know a platform of work that's not built on this idea of doing, this idea of achieving, idea of just working your way through. Well, I would never decry the fact that you should work. The Bible tells us we should work. We just have to recognize that those environments are temptation places and tests to pull ourselves away from the Father's ultimate design of telling us he loves us. Education, many people get their next degree because they just want to feel valued. It is not that they necessarily need it. Now, I'm not saying that those are bad, but there's, a, there's this idea of being valued for what we have, what we know, and what we do over what we, who we are. I don't think I need to say much about social media, but I'm going to a little bit. It is one of the subtle ways the devil destroys our very souls. Just tears, the, tears our whole being apart, moving us from loving God to comparing ourselves and you know, all these areas that we try to we play games on and play checks on. And if you're not into it, praise the Lord. Seriously. In that way, it just has the ability to tear away at who we are. What about sports? Whether in high elementary or high school or even college or beyond, they're all ways of getting affirmation and validation. We could keep going on and on and on and on. This world is built on what you can give me, what you can give to me. But God has made us to be people who, God, as God has made us people to, who do things, we must remember that we, who we are first. 
We are called to do, but it all emanates from this place of who we are and how he's loved us. Bob Mohond, in his book, The Invitation to a Journey, speculates that suicide for teens and elderly are related to the fact that our culture is so saturated by what we do. We value what we do that if somebody tells you you're not valuable, you believe it and you start to live into it as a teen. And those who have lived all their lives giving themselves to workplace values get to the end. They get to that point and they go, what am I supposed to do now? I need a mission. Jesus is affirmed as God's son and loved. It's the same heart cry we need. It is the very heart cry I believe that we need in order to push away the tests and the temptations of the evil one that he throws our way. Because who we are is far more valuable than what we do. Our text this morning Starts by, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, right? After 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. A tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I'm not sure about you, but I'm, I'm uncomfortable about this passage of Scripture. Just the whole idea of Jesus, the Son of God, the, <laughs> the Son of God, the Holy Spirit leading him into the wilderness, the, the compulsion of being moved into a place of testing and temptation, it's not what I want to read out of the Bible, but it is our course, and it is Jesus's course. And what are we supposed to do with this? I, I want to point out before we get into the passage that it's not God doing the tempting; it's the evil one, the devil, or the or Satan. It, there is divine good in this passageway through the wilderness, just as there is divine good for each one of us who who journey with Jesus faithfully and obediently through the wilderness. So, what is the wilderness? We're not sure exactly where Jesus was, but he was off in the wilderness. Whether he truly went up into the mountains or he went somewhere else, he was away. But this conjures in our minds, if we have read the scripture at all, and if we haven't, that's okay, that this is where Moses encountered God, is in the wilderness, right? There he was by himself, and God (laughs) ushers him into his presence. It's where God tells Aaron, Uh, you know, where does God tell Aaron to find Moses? In the wilderness. And there's, there's some interesting hyperlinks between Moses that we see and Jesus who is. But this wilderness is a wasteland. It's desolate. It's the wilds of our world. We know temptations and tests occur in the wilderness for Jesus, for Moses, Israel, and even us. Yet we We are to live out our fullest expressions in those places as children of God. Now listen to that, please. As children, as sons and daughters of the Most High who are told the very same thing, we are loved and he is well pleased with us. 
Jesus' journey into the wilderness is where we find the solitude, where the silence pervades the space in the wilderness. Right? Into those places where nobody else is. Whether it's a literal wilderness or not, there, it's a place that nobody else is, and the silence is deafening, it seems, for most of us. And maybe even for Jesus in these moments. Who knows? Matthew tells us how long the fasting has, has taken place, 40 days. Fasting, friends, as a general rule, is setting aside eating for a focus and attention to give ourselves to God, to get more of God, as we're told in Matthew 6.33. Matthew tells us that after 40 days, Jesus is hungry. Some of us would say, sure he was. The Satan, the accuser, or the devil comes to Jesus not with something that Jesus doesn't need or doesn't even want. Now think about this for your own selves and offers Jesus food. Is Jesus hungry? Absolutely. Does he want food? Yes. The devil comes to you and entices you with something you He never entices you with something you do not want. He always comes to you with something you want, you may even need. Paul tells the Corinthians who were surrounded by their former lives in the city that they were living in, and you could take a little journey on what Corinthians looked like in those days. He says this, no test or temptation that comes to your way is beyond the course of what others had to face. Friends, you're not alone in this idea. Jesus enters into it having been not alone, but we enter it with him. When we are tempted or tested, we have to remember we're not, we have not sinned, but we're in that place of the wilderness. We have a choice. If we forget who we are, not what we do, but if we forget who we are and what who God has confirmed us as followers of Jesus, as his children, sons and daughters, temptation and even tests may give away to sin and death. Let's not forget James' words to us in James chapter 1. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial or temptation or test. Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. James conveys to us the process our own evil desires take us. Conception, birth to sin, and sin takes its course death occurs. James is not thinking of this in a vacuum. In fact, he might be doing a, what we would say is a hyperlink even to Genesis 1 and 2 or actually 3, right? Our desires, Adam and Eve, in Genesis 3, their desires give way to sin and give birth, give, give way to sin and then death. Jesus is tempted by the devil to use his power to make the stones turn into bread by the power of his words. Now, we don't have to read, you have to think or read too long or too far to find these passages of scriptures where God spoke and it just was. While he is man, he is also God. 
And the accuser wants him to live into this self-satisfying nature, the self-satisfaction. Jesus' response, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This simple response from Deuteronomy 8.3 silences the temptation from the devil, but it's only because, and I believe this, it's only because of the greater context of the scripture that that is true, which says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness. This is from Deuteronomy 8.3. This is where Jesus is quoting these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know that you're, where your heart is, whether you would, will you, whether you, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. I think it wasn't just the verse that brought Jesus solace, but the story, remembering and knowing the story specifically, allowed him to speak scripture specifically to the test and the temptation, but the greater knowledge that God would feed him. God will take care of his people. He always has and always will. See, it's who you are, not what you do. It's who you are, not what you do. I love it. Jesus' relationship with his Father and his command of Scripture is where his offense in this life comes from. It is the same with us. Our relationship with God and our command of Scripture is our key to living whole and holy lives, righteous lives, when being assaulted by the evil one, by the devil, by the accuser, by the Satan. When we think we're done with the devil, the accuser, he appears again, doesn't he? We think we've flicked him off our shoulder or gotten him out the door. This should not cause us any fear or any concern or any worry. God will be faithful as he has been in the past. Those tests and temptations are to be, are to be handled with courage. Revelation says, no coward will enter heaven. Verse 5, it says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift, up, they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Verse 7, Then Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Aren't we glad that we're not alone? We may have experienced repeated assaults from the accuser, yet Jesus demonstrates to us how to handle this pressure from the darkness of destruction. He does not want us to live, un, live encumbered in bondage or in fear or in anxiety. Jesus was able to see what the devil could and could not do. We can too. We have a rear view mirror that shows us cleanly what he can and cannot do. The devil says to Jesus, if, can you imagine saying that to the Son of God, if you can do this, right? If you're the Son of God. I mean, come on. The devil knows he's talking to God's Son, or otherwise he wouldn't even be there. He wouldn't even be bugging him. Just as he doesn't bug you if you're not living for him. Oh, 
that's a little painful, right? In those places when we've given in or surrendered to our carnality, he has nothing to worry. It's crazy. The devil knows he is God's son. I mean, it, it takes us all the way back to Genesis 3. Did God really say not to? Oh, Jesus, while hungry from fasting, is strengthened to take on what the evil one is throwing at him. Jesus knows, and the devil knows, he is the Son of God. Just as the evil one knows if you have said yes to Jesus, you are following him obediently, you're, you're, you're devouring and hungry for him, he knows who you are. The test is to test and prove who you are. The temptation is affirming who you are, not who you're not. When our girls decided to follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior, we pulled out their Bibles and we placed the date in their Bibles and continued to reaffirm that decision with them over and over and over again. Nothing new, just affirming that landmark. It reminds me of the standing stones that were built in the Old Testament. You know these. They were erected when God did something grand, great. I mean, broke through. We, friends, need to do the very same thing because we're weak, but he's strong. The devil, sli- <laughs> the devil, this slithering sidewinder with his forked tongue is using scripture not as it was intended but twisted and distorted. He's taking Psalm 91, 11 and 12, and wanting Jesus to take his authority and power in his own hands. But if you read the whole scripture, the scripture speaks that God will take care of him who is faithful to him. I mean, that's the, that's the crux of the scripture. Friends, we have, to, we, have, we have been told to take grab, steal, demand, even so far as to sell our souls in order to get what we believe is owed to us or we deserve based on our worlds and our culture's ideologies of what it means to be happy and what our rights are. When we continue to primp and parade ourselves for the acclaim of the world, we will lose. What kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself, Jesus says. Jesus' command of the word is an incredible model that we need to grow in and we can grow in. This is not, it's not hard. It's this diligent task day in and day out. Listen to this. In Deuteronomy 6.14, this is what he repeats back to the evil one, to the devil. You must not worship any of the gods of the neighboring nations. Can I say ideologies in our world and culture that we live in? We don't, aren't too tempted by our neighboring nations these days. But the idea, ideologies of the devil are around us. For the Lord your God who lives among you is a jealous God. His anger will flare up against you and he will wipe you from the face of the earth. You must not test the Lord your God as you did when you complained at Massa. You must diligently obey the commands of the Lord your God. All the Lord's and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight. So all will go well with you. 
Can I just reaffirm this point that we're going to make over again? That Jesus' relationship with his Father and his command of Scripture is where we are able to take on the temptations and tests of life. Our relationship and our command of Scripture is key to our li- our, us living a whole and holy lives when being assaulted with temptation and tests from the evil one. That's where we sit. That's what Jesus is telling us. That's what this passage is screaming at us over and over and over again. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. We may be getting the point now. While Jesus told the devil where to go with his faith-filled direct responses like a mosquito in Michigan summer, the devil will not relent until dealt with properly, and we don't deal with him. Jesus deals with him. Jesus is bugged once more by this deadly pest. And when I say deadly, I mean deadly Again, the devil did not get the message the first two times with Jesus. Jesus knows who he is and who he's called, who, who, who he is and what he's called to do. He does not have problems with this. And I plead for you, I plead with my own heart to grasp this for our own spiritual formation, our, our interior lives to be formed after Jesus. He knew who he was. He was no one else's but his father's. And that's where his life sat. The father's affection could not be any clearer. The father loved him and could not be prouder of him. His love and approval was before this wilderness ride ever began. Friends, if you're younger amongst us, remember, uh, remember your mom and dad's love for you. Just remember their love for you. That even in the midst of whatever may be going on that may be tumultuous in the moment, it is a moment. They love you. If the Father loved Jesus, I believe that your parents probably love you or whatever may be going on. Remember that they're for you because this is exactly what's happening here. The Father is for and is with the Son all the way. We who have decided to follow Jesus must remember that, remember whose we are and what he calls us. He calls us sons and daughters, his children. Paul, writing in Colossians chapter 3, says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. There is an identification we must have with Jesus. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on the earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden in Christ and God. When Christ, who is, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore, as God's chosen people, sons and daughters, he calls you his sons and daughters. He gives you every access to every resource he has. Jesus' relationship with his Father and his command of Scripture is where he is able to, to, to live his life in offense or defense, however you want to look at it. And the same is true for us. Our relationship with God, 
Our command of Scripture is our key to living the whole and holy lives when we're being assaulted by the evil one, when we're being tempted or tested to be pulled away from him. All the time, Jesus is waiting. Can you imagine having to toss aside your hungry, having, to, having and willing to toss aside the bread that's being offered, knowing that you're already on the way, you already own all the kingdoms. You don't have to deal with that. I mean, all of these things. But we get to the end, and here's the resolve. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended to him. This, this is what Jesus knew, and what we must also know. That God would take care of him, and he did take care of him. When we know, we can. God will take care of you. All the temptations and tests of life are given as an opportunity to allow for you to grow, but also to allow God to attend to you. Can you imagine? No, no. God's, I mean, he's on his way. He's going to take care of me. When you know for sure that the evil one's trying to drag you away. Hebrews 4.15 says this, as another commonality that we have between us and Jesus. This high priest of ours, Jesus, is our, of ours, understands our weakness, for he faced the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Remember, he emptied himself of his divine power. He gave himself freely. So the life that Jesus lived is a life that you can grow to live into, too. I like what John Mark Comer says in The Ruthless Elimination of Her. He says, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness because it was there and only there that Jesus was at the height of his spiritual powers. It was only after a month and a half of prayer and fasting in the quiet place that he had the capacity to take on the devil himself and walk away unscathed. The very thing that the world tells you that you need to do It's quite the opposite of what Jesus calls you into to be his. While the devil left Jesus, we know that the devil did return to Jesus. So I think we need to continue ask, if the evil one is like the Michigan mosquito that doesn't relent unless it's dealt with properly, that means killed in Michigan, then how do we deal with the relentless pursuit of the evil one in our own lives? I think it's this first, Scripture. We need to have a greater command of Scripture in our hearts and in our minds. In Deuteronomy, it says this, O hero Israel, the Lord our God is, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. They're to be a part of everything that we do. They're just supposed to just kind of flow out of us. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your homes and your gates. And it's your choice to write those everywhere like that. But I think the point is clear. That scripture is to be really really part of who we are 
that we're to, we're to love the Word of God and to cherish it and implant it deep so that it comes out of us kind of like a flowing fountain, if you will. I think it's what He desires for us. As God's dear children, N.T. Wright says, we are entitled to use the same defense the Son of God Himself used. Store Scripture in your heart and know how to use it. Keep your eyes on God and trust Him for everything. Remember your calling to bring God's light into the world and say a firm no to the voices that lure you back into the darkness. So this morning, friends, as, you, as you've been listening to what Jesus has done with Scripture, where would you put yourself on a scale of one to seven? One being low, seven being the highest, that you have a great command of Scripture. What just popped into your mind right now? Because I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Now let me ask this question. Whatever number it was, because it probably wasn't seven, if it is, I'd love to talk to you afterward. How can you take it up one more notch? What can you do to have a greater command of Scripture in your life and your heart? You can read it. You can memorize it. You can read it with a friend. There are tons of ways you can have it on your phone. You can carry your Bible around you. There are tons of ways you can do it, but what is it that you're going to do to take it to another level? Now, there's a second thing I think we can do on a daily and regular basis, and that is silence and solitude. While there are times when they should be extended and protracted, in this world of noise and voices that are constantly trying to distract us, not even bad, but it's trying to distract us and derail us. We need moments of silence and solitude to realign our hearts with God, to hear from him. Now, I'm not going to talk about, I'll just tell you, I'm not going to talk about fasting. I think it's a great thing. But in our day-to-day lives, I believe silence and solitude, a half-hour walk with Jesus, with nothing on and nothing going through your head, Now think about how long that will take to get nothing going through your head besides your focus. Yep, that's right. If you can get into a regular exercise, a regular muscle, if you will, strengthening exercise to do that, I think you'll be in a healthier place. You'll be in a place of command. You will. Jesus, it says this about Jesus in Mark chapter 1. Very early in the morning, while it's still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And Simon and his companions went looking for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. And Jesus said, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. Now they... Simon and his companions wanted them to go back where the crowds, where the power, where the prestige, where the rage was going. They could, have, they could have assembled and gotten more popularity. That's what was happening. And Jesus said, no, no, that's not for me. That's not where we need to be right now. And the only way you know the difference between a voice that's good and the voice that's best is you spend time with a voice that's best. Scale of one to seven, again, one being low and seven high. Where's your 
where's your conversation with God these days? That's including silence and solitude and prayer. Where's the quotient? What's the Spirit saying to you? Whatever number that was, again, the question comes, how can you move it just one notch higher? One notch more, one notch deeper. Why do we do all this? Why as followers of Jesus, why do we pursue this life and pursue him? I think in cultural moments that we've been in, we may have a clarity on that answer, but let me read to you what Bob Mulholland, one of my professors at Asbury, wrote in his book, an invitation, just uh, invitation to a journey. He writes this, the Christian community, which should have been a clear voice of liberation and wholeness in the wilderness of human bondage and brokenness, has too often been merely an echo of culture, further confusing those on wandering and haphazard quests for wholeness. Oh. And in these moments of which our brothers and sisters, black brothers and sisters, are, have, have, are languishing again under racism in ways that we only as white people have come to understand, for those who are in the pandemic who are fearful of a virus. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't be cautious, but are fearful of a virus more than they're fearful of God and what he desires for us to be. In the cultural unrest of our day, where have we been? Taking care of ourselves. That's the simple answer. Taking care of ourselves. But God calls us into being a people who are a light to the world, salt in the world in which we live. Gain a greater command of Scripture. Gain a greater command of this silence and solitude in the world of noise and voices and distractions that wish and desire to derail you in order to live a life that is a light to the world in which we live, to show and shed, shine the, the love of Jesus to others. Let's pray. Good Father, who loves unconditionally, we are grateful for your son's willingness to take on a mission of love who set aside his divine privilege for the whole world so everyone who chooses to follow you will know life, not death. Your affirmation of Jesus is what our hearts long for today. Spirit, would you speak into those of us who are just hungering for affirmation and we've been seeking it in other places and spaces. Even that country song comes to mind looking for love in all the wrong places. Lord, that could be said of us even in these moments as we were claiming ideologies, political parties over Jesus, over over having the Father's affirmation in our hearts and our lives. Father, forgive us as followers of Jesus who have not taken seriously the word of God. We want the pastor to take care of it, We want other people to do it, but we're not taking command of Scripture ourselves. 
Father, would you forgive us for these foundation and elemental, elementary ways of just following you, and we know it. Psalm 119 is one of those places where we're reminded over and over again that we are to be people of the word who fall in love with the word, that the statues of your word become a, a guide to us, our hearts and our minds. Forgive us. But Father, I also pray that you would lead us, Lord. Lead us into ways of deeper life with you as we sit with you quietly, as we walk with you quietly, as we gain our souls back because of your good love for us through Jesus. Friends, if you are a follower of Jesus, would you just pray and ask the Lord, Lord, how do, you, how do you want me to put scripture more into my life? Where do you want to see it coming out of? If, if it's silence and solitude that you know you're needing to place in your life, just pray and ask the Lord, show me Jesus. How to do that in my time-constrained schedule. And he will be faithful to show you. For some of you, though, this morning, you needed to hear that God loves you, and he loves you unconditionally. He loved Jesus, his son, unconditionally. He was, loved him and was pleased with him. No matter where you are at in the journey this morning, he wants you to hear that he loves you. He loves you unconditionally with his own son's life. And the affirmation that you're seeking in the world around you, whether through social media, through work, through even your spouse or your family members, it's got to come from him. And it's got to come from a surrender. As Colossians tells us that we have, to be, we have to die in Jesus and we have to be raised in Christ just as he was baptized. If that's you this morning, would you pray this simple but powerful pray, prayer that's prayed authentically from your heart? Thank you for mercy, grace, and love found in and through Jesus, Father. Save me and forgive me from my sins. I give you my life and I choose to follow love and live for you in Jesus' name. Father, we celebrate the lives who have made decisions today, first-time decisions and those incremental, spiritual-forming, transforming decisions that help us to grow in you to not only be whole people and holy people, but people who live out the love of Jesus and the light of Jesus to the world. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.